Chapter 2 Imagining Out Loud Trevor and I sit cross-legged atop elephant print puffs. We have front row seats to nature's top-rated TV series, The Sunset in Copenhagen. In desperate need of cooling my jets, Trevor's brought me to Amsterdam Bar. The land of smiles is riddled with paradoxes. On the way here, we pass by Bon Appetit, a German restaurant advertising popular Thai dishes on a chalkboard out front. Curious. We eat is highly illegal in Thailand. Trevor and I just purchased two splits at the bar. From the edge of the balcony, I blow a billow of smoke into the sky, changing from its daytime wardrobe into its nighttime apparel. The sky's metamorphosis is a beauty to behold. Fiery blazes of orange and pink splash their way across gradients of blue. Taking a puff puff pass of the J, I am sky high. My nomadic adventure has barely begun, but I reckon I could stay here forever. Too bad I only have somewhere to rest my head for the next couple of nights. Speaking of rest, I could really use some. I've hardly slept since leaving home. Until now, I've never lived more than an hour away from my childhood home. Coincidentally enough, my parents moved house the same week I moved sides of the globe. Having grown up in the very same house where my father grew up, where his father grew up, that his father helped build, I know the rare sort of magic that lives between walls. The loss of my childhood home feels like the loss of childhood. Nearing 29, I suppose it's about damn time. When my mother was my age, she had a husband, four kids, and a house of her very own. Meanwhile, I'm technically homeless and alone. It's not my fault I'm a millennial. They said we were supposed to have it all figured out by now, but now looks hella different than it did back then. These days, being 29 looks like trying to keep up with the Kardashians while being $100,000 in student debt and finding romanceless romance by swiping right. Uh-uh. I was so over striving after the American dream. The reality I was matched up with looked nothing like the one I'd been shown by screens. Swiping left on the future I'd been sold, I thrust my faith into the universe, quit my sturdy job, and flocked to the developing world. I wasn't running away from reality. I was refusing to participate in one that didn't serve me. Sky high, I huff and I puff and I blow some smoke out. Whispers of dreams swell from my mouth before swimming off to play with the clouds. In Copenhagen, the imaginary lives out loud. Peripheral vision expanded, a palm tree dances in the non-existent breeze. I tune into its prophetic message from the furthest corner of my gaze. Leafy arms synthesize a secret my way. A chill of remembrance from once upon a childhood dream. Goosebumps encompass me. I'd long forgotten my talent for speaking to trees. I am five years old sitting beneath the Rose of Sharon in my grandparents' front yard. Today, the tree and the yard and the house belong to them. Tomorrow, with the exchange of Pat Pap's asking price of one dollar and the deed, the home will officially belong to my nuclear family. 
I love this house and I love this yard and I love this tree and the pink and purple flowers that grow from it. I smash up the fallen ones, mixing them together with bubbles, water from the spigot, and dandelion seeds. Stirring with care, I chant out incantations for my real life Prince Charming. I have been raised under the influence of Disney princess fantasies. I love this tree, says Grandma, picking a purple rose and tucking it behind my ear. It's my favorite, I agree. The rose of Sharon watches the house change from yellow to blue. Peeking through the kitchen windows, she observes five very different children grow up. She witnesses the hiding of Easter baskets, wind-whipped afternoons spent sled riding, the backyard burial of Cinnamon the Golden Retriever, and the arrival of Lord Aslan of Narnia, the replacement puppy. Her growth seems to slow as ours quickens. Homecoming pictures with high school sweethearts are taken beneath the front awning. Underage wine coolers are drunk around the bonfire out back. The Rose of Sharon beholds the unfolding of our lively family history. An outsider by nature, she frequently finds herself lonely. Questioning the consistency of her cyclical life, sometimes she longs to be freed from her roots. I know this because my darling tree and I have spent an entirety of childhood summer afternoons whispering our greatest wishes amongst one another. Eventually, my siblings and I grow too large to live beneath our parents' roof. Eventually, the Rose of Sharon grows too old and threatens to fall wayward on the house. Chop, chop, timber! And just like that, the whimsical tree is released from her steady hold in the ground. But what do we become once removed from our roots? The tree doesn't think about growing. It just does. I never thought about growing either. That is, until I already was. sitting in psychology 101. It is one of the rare Fridays I've bothered to attend. With each class costing $82 a pop, you'd think I'd make a priority of claiming my front row seat in the lecture hall, but I am unfazed by the dollars wasted in my absence. Perhaps this is because the money being spent doesn't technically belong to me, or even to my parental units. My dear frenemy Sally Mae, has generously offered to foot the bill at an interest rate of 18.6%. With an age matching her proposed fee, I signed away on Sally's deceitful dotted line. Host to an academic history of being the dumbest student in the smart kid classes, I was accustomed to copying off my neighbors. So at the conclusion of high school, I followed suit and went off to college, like all the smart kids do. In 13 years of public schooling, I learned oodles of semi-useless information. How to simplify binomial fractions, the motivation behind Steinbeck's Grapes of Wrath, the forensic frenzy surrounding the race for the double helix. But never was I ever required to acquire the monetary knowledge for understanding financial agreements. It wasn't until my debt went into repayment that I came to learn I'd signed away for my future before it'd been earned. I have little desire to study psychology, but I must if I want a degree. And of course I do, because I have been conditioned to believe, so long as I achieve a diploma, a secure future is guaranteed. It is not uncommon for my peers to be in similar positions. 
hungover after a grueling thirsty Thursday. We drool like Pavlov's dogs nodding off in our seats. We've been taught to be here, and so we are. But our costly educations have failed to teach us who it is we're truly meant to be. Fast forward five years. I am working two jobs, have a master's degree, yet can't afford rent. Thankfully, I have a live-in boyfriend who covers most costs. Darren is a good boyfriend and a great human. We've been dating since we were teens. Had I not had him to keep me grounded during my college days, who knows what might have become of me. Darren is still in the pursuit of his masters, but I feel no guilt about him paying the majority of our bills. He is a man, and I am a woman, raised rather traditionally. It is my understanding affording my lifestyle is his responsibility. Of course, everything comes at a cost. And so by busying myself playing housewife, my aspirations get lost. Initially, I am elated by composing Pinterest-inspired meal plans, discovering seasonal goodies down the aisles of Trader Joe's, and jotting down appointments on color-coordinated post-it notes. I make believe the version of reality I've been raised to achieve, but beneath my apron and behind my belly button lives a dream that refuses to stop nagging. Pretending ever harder, I imagine not to hear it. Anxiety is a consequence for attempting suicide on spirit. Unable to quiet my dream, I turn up the volume in all other areas of life. I volunteer for extra responsibilities at work, grow obsessed with my fitness regime, become the event coordinator for my friends group, cook more and clean harder. I keep a schedule so full that my life becomes one to-do list after another. Running faster and further from my destiny, I chase myself upside down around and backwards, looking for a way out of self-induced psychopathy. My relationship crumbles. I develop a crush on a trainer at my gym. I catch a corned beef casserole on fire. After seven years of companionship, Darren and I split ways in a long and drawn out breakup. I move out of the apartment and sleep with the heartthrob fitness buff. Shortly after, my mother takes ownership of my and Darren's fur baby. My sense of home is lost in both a physical and an emotional sense. Without a boyfriend and without a home, nothing no longer makes sense. For far too long, I have lived so far from self. I am abundant with withouts. Moving back into my parents' house, I exchange playing grown-up for playing kid. Sleepless nights are spent in my long-lost bed with no one to turn to. Britney Spears's I'm Not a Girl, Not Yet a Woman is the soundtrack to my existence. I cannot even seek solace from the Rose of Sharon in the front yard, having since been chopped down. Rather than spend these starlit hours tossing and turning, for the first time, since required by college professors, I write. Darren's girlfriend or Barbie's boyfriend. That's who we were. There was no I, we were a we. We didn't have his and her towels. We had their towels. Now I am a she and he is a he. Through the cathartic creation of words on top of words, I catch a glimmer of my long lost identity. Through the looking glass, I reflect on how I wound up here, but I can barely see myself through all the mud. 
It's as if the mirror hasn't been cleaned since being hung on the bathroom wall 20 or more years ago. Having never needed a shower more in my life, I grow concerned the one in 204 is apt to make me more dirty than clean. The floor is covered in sand. The toilet is foul in all sorts of ways. Garbage overflows from the basket onto the floor. I am shocked to discover there was ever toilet paper here in the first place, but an empty toilet roll reveals there is no more. There is no separation between the shower and the rest of the space. No wall, no door, not even a curtain. Each atrocious element is a disgusting reminder of the squeaky clean existence I've left behind. Surprisingly, a map featuring the raised hairy cloth word welcome lays before the shower. Stepping over the mat, I turn on the faucet, wringing out my every frustration with each spin of the wrist. An unsteady cold stream drips down from the shower head above. Baptism by way of hostile water. Welcome home, welcome home. My new reality rains down upon me.